Hey, my name's Stevie Taylor, and you are listening to episode 60 of the Gig Life Podcast. My guest today is pianist, bass player, composer and songwriter Bill Risby. I first heard of Bill in 2018 when I was researching Mark Costa's podcast episode. Um, Bill played on Mark's Textures album. From that moment on, Bill's name would come up quite often. I'd either see his name on credits of an album I might be listening to in the lead up to an interview with someone or... I'd see a social media post that would have him tagged in it, you know, either a photo or a video, um, or one of my podcast guests would mention his name. So I started to see a bit of a connection to a lot of people around the industry. So Bill has nine solo albums to his name, um, a bunch of movie and TV soundtracks. He's played with Leo Sayer, Glenn Shorrock, Ian Moss, Marsha Hines, Adam Brand, John Williamson, Gina Jeffries, Casey Chambers, and just too many others to mention. Bill's ability to cross over seamlessly into any genre of music makes him one of the most accomplished musicians in his fields, be it jazz, improvised, popular music or country. Um, we sat down in his home studio and over a nice glass of uh, red wine, we talked. Um, I loved it. Bill's a real cool dude, master musician, humble, wise, and I hope you dig this chat. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is Bill Wisby. Cheers. Rolling, Bill Risby, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. Thanks, Stevie. How are you, man? Oh, I'm great. Good. Yeah. Now, um, before we sort of roll back to how it all sort of begun and stuff for you, what's what's a week in the lot? What's a week in September 2019 for for Bill Risby? Oh man, that's a great question. Well, I mean, every month's different, and this month has been lots of high school certificates. Mm. Yeah. I've played for a few different schools. Yep. Some schools have a lot of students, you know, four or five. Um, some schools just have one. So you drive there and play for someone's HSC, have a rehearsal. And then I've been a rehearsal pianist for the Sydney School Spectacular mm-hmm. this last weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I've done, I did a gig with the Humming Song Choir at the Concourse in Chatswood. And that included a short set of my own music. Uh, which was fantastic. It's a beautiful room and playing a beautiful Steinway piano and everything. Uh, and then a couple of other sort of gigs I wouldn't really mention, you know. Was <laughs> was that just to, just to pay the bills type gigs or? Yeah, yeah I right. mean, not, yep. no, not that I wouldn't mention them, but I actually can't remember them. Oh right, okay. Oh, I played. I did a great gig with Barry Leaf, who I love playing with. Right, He's a great singer, you mm-hmm. know, great band. Mm-hmm. Um, did you play on his last album? 
I did. That Carrie, Carrie produced Carrie that. Produced didn't it? Yeah. That, yeah. Yep. It mm. sounds fantastic. Mm. A great sounding record. Mm. Great band. You know. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. I just love it. Yeah. Yes, I mean, you know, some gigs are filled with. Uh, sorry, some months are filled with fantastic sort of generally really creative gigs that um, don't really pay anything, and or the opposite, which is uh, sort of sometimes technical gigs that are hard to play perfectly, but they pay well. Right. Say doing something that's live on TV or something like that. Right. You know, and there's, so there's a huge variety of things that. I end up doing every month. Right. It's hard to maintain some sort of mental balance, you know. Yeah, it would. Yeah. yeah. I never really feel relaxed, <laughs> you know. Well, you, I guess that's living, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> you... well, I've had various stages, you know, where you, you're playing with one band and the music the same every night or roughly the same, you know, mm. and the players are fantastic. And you don't even think about, you don't worry about the gear to show up and you set your gear up and you play, mm. you know, and that's great. Or you might do a tour where you do uh, two months and you're doing the same songs every night for, say, three or four nights a week. Mm. And I've done a, a fair bit of that in the last few years. Mm. But then I'll come back and then every single night will be different. And so the contrast is uh, one of coming home and thinking, oh, I've got to learn 20 songs for tomorrow. Right. Whereas I haven't had to learn any songs for two months, you know. Right. So they're, they're the, the different sort of extremes and what we do, you know. Do you get a lot of um, urgent calls? This, such mm. as such hasn't turned up. Bill, are you available? Can you do it? Occasionally, but not right. not that often, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I do because I suppose I'm on the list, you know. On the list, yeah, right. <laughs> Everyone's on the list. Yeah. Yeah, yep. Some people ring you up and say, hey, I've called everyone. You're the 19th person I've called. <laughs> and I normally hang up, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we, we, did a, um, we did a drummers round table right. um, yeah. earlier this year and that kind of topic came up about the, being the last call. It was hilarious. Right. Is that the, the one you did about Jeff Beccaro? No, no, no. That was a different one. It was a different one. Like, we, it was just drummers. Right. And, I haven't um, heard that yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I think Fab was telling that story. Right. <laughs> 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 yeah. I love that. Yeah, he's cool, man. Yeah, he's really cool. All right, so let's um let's roll back to how it all began. Um, now, are you originally from Sydney? Yeah. Yep. I was born here in Paddington. Yep. In a hospital, it's no longer there. Mm -hmm. It's now apartments. And um, I went to I lived in Earlwood, you know, sort of inner westish for about ten years. Mm. I lived in Perth for a year, mm. nineteen seventy nine, and then I moved to the North Shore, which is similar to where we are here now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I went to Clara High School, so, mm -hmm. yeah, and I started playing piano when I was three. Yeah, three and a half or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, musical parents. Yeah, my mum was a piano player and a singer, opera singer. Mm. No, not semi opera singer, you know. My father was just a music lover, but didn't actually play anything. So lots of records and he had this huge record collection. Some you can see vinyl over there, which. Half oh, of right. that's, all of that, most of that's from his record collection. Right. Or maybe half of it, you know. Yeah. And he just used to sit in his lap and play music. Great. And he had this ridiculously diverse uh, taste mm -hmm. in music, you know. He he loved Dave Brubeck, jazz quartet, you mm -hmm. know. And he loved Pink Floyd. Mm -hmm. And he loved the Daily Wilson Big Band, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. And uh, he gave me a, 
meatloaf album, just things that you don't see how they could be related, right? Yeah. And because he didn't really have any boundaries with what he liked, I sort of ended up the same, you know. That's cool. Yeah. Mm. It's great. I mean, I can't really imagine a better combination of upbringing for somebody that's going to end up playing music. Yeah. I mean, my mother played. She wasn't a great piano player, but she she was a pretty good teacher. And my father sort of inspired me to want to play by Sorry, playing me, me music. Music teacher was she? No, no, she was. Oh, a, no, uh, but, uh, right. Yeah, she was, she taught me though. Sorry. Right. Okay. So she oh, played right, piano, okay. and she taught me for probably the first one or two years when I was really little. Right. Then she found me a teacher when I was about four and a half or five or something. Mm-hmm. Who was a you know known a known sort of piano teacher. Right. Yeah. And yeah, basically, I did classical grades like everybody else. And uh, ended up falling in love with jazz from listening to it, right. trying to work out chords by myself. And then somebody gave me a book that had jazz chords written out, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'd learn it like you learn classical music. The notes are in front of you. So I wasn't really improvising, but I'd learned all the sounds and how to play them. Mm. I sort of taught myself how to play simple blues songs, you know, boogie-woogie stuff. Right. And then... Yeah, Just purely night. from experimenting, or did you have... An idea of the form of that of blues at that stage. Ah, uh, I mean, you could hear it. Because I, because uh, are you, are you? Pardon me, because I, I don't really know um, much about greater piano. Like I did, I did start off playing piano. Yeah. Um, but do do you learn um, sort of blues structure music early on in piano? Oh no, no, not really. It's no. not not really considered a, a sort of type of music that you. You'd play on the piano. It's more of yeah, right, okay. Guitar style, I suppose. It's not that there aren't blues piano players. Of course yep. there are, but I know what you're saying. Um, but people who learn the piano generally learn in this really sort of rigid um, academic method. You know, mm-hmm. you learn to play a set uh, scales, group of scales, and then a major version of minor, <laughs> and then you learn these classical pieces. You know, so. The only people that really end up playing jazz early on are often people that have learnt um, jazz that's been written out, so they learn it as a piece of music. Which okay. my my 10-year-old son's playing jazz pieces, but they're all written out, and he plays right. them really well. Right. But he plays them with a the proper jazz feel because he's been listening to it since he was born. Right. You know. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah but he's cool. not really improvising. He's not playing chords with his left hand, saying, playing a a line in his right hand that he's making up. He's not doing any of that yet. Yeah, right. Very little of it, you know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Whereas I suppose on some other instruments, say you're a saxophone player. Yep. You're playing single note lines, so it sort of lends itself to experimenting with, you know, play a note, then play another note after it and see what it sounds like in relation to it. Some instruments seem easier to experiment with improvising with, you know. Mm. I think that's... Oh, could be full of shit, really. <laughs> I'm just curious how you sort of came up with the with that sort of boogie woogie blues had, thing. Were you? What, I had were a you book listen- on it. Oh, yeah, no, a book. Okay. The same as everything else. Okay. This book was called Boogie Woogie Piano. I think I've still got it on a bookshelf in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Know? Cool. I've had it since I was a kid. Mm. So that was my initial thing. But you know, I did listen and was played a lot of music by my father. And there would have been things, for example, I had Take Five when I was four years old or something. Yeah, right. Dave Rubik's yeah. song, right? So I was familiar with 
playing in 5-4 and when I actually ended up having to do it I didn't really think about it you know with some people have only ever played had only ever played in 4-4 yep uh, piano players I suppose right not drummers because it's something you might try and think I'm going to spend a bit of time working on this yeah so this is things that you're exposed to by listening and you don't really think oh, I'm going to learn this you just sit down and play it mm. and tonight me and my son before you came over my son plays the electric bass as well cool we played take five i taught him taught him take five he played it first time because he's been listening to it as well yeah <laughs> you know right. yeah it's not a particularly hard song but right you know but you've got four four ingrained in your head tapping your foot yeah one two three four all your life and what's all an extra sudden, tap you yeah, know? what's an extra tap that's right <laughs> that's all it is yeah. It? <laughs> you're right you're right yeah yeah, yeah. um so, what was your what was your schooling like in regards to um, music? Were you in a musical school, um, or were you just normal type of school? But then you're getting your piano lessons. Um, my high school, I had two great music teachers that mm-hmm. really took an interest in me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my primary school, I didn't really have any musical input. There was no bands or anything like that. Okay. like my kids have. Okay. But um, when I was really young, I think I was about six, five and a half or six, um, I got a, a, an unofficial scholarship or whatever you'd call it from a teacher at the Conservatorium of Music in Sydney mm. who said he, he'd give me lessons for free. I, I, I did some audition at the con to, do, um, to get a scholarship to, to learn from this pianist and he thought it was wrong that they didn't give it to me. So he said, I'm going to pay for your lessons. So he taught oh, me wow. from, for four years uh, at the con. So I used to take every Friday out of my primary school, which was Undercliff Public School. And my father used to drive me into the city and wait while I had a lesson with Albert Land as a piano player. I'm not sure if he's still alive, but he was a pretty well-known Australian classic piano player. Mm-hmm. So I did that for four years till I was 10 and then... Uh, so my final year of primary school, I moved to Perth. Okay. So that all stopped. Right. Yeah. Right. And then when I went to high school, that's when I had these music teachers that were really, really encouraging. Mm-hmm. I mean, to the point where one of them decided to organise a concert um, with me playing in it, you know, a piece of music that I never thought I'd ever be able to play. And she said, no, you can do it. I'll organise an orchestra. So she put an orchestra together, got a few oh. kids from a different school. It was, a, it was um, a, you know, sort of piano concerto thing, you know. And so I, basically because she believed in me, I thought, well, I have to learn it then, don't I, you know. Yeah, right, awesome. And you sort of get pushed into these things because you don't believe in yourself, but because somebody who listens to you says, I think you can do it, all of a sudden it changes you. It actually makes you rise to the occasion. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I had a number of things like that happen to me. That's that's the main one. Um, and, you know, I just remember a couple of times in music, a teacher wouldn't be so sure of a question that someone in the class asked them. Mm. So she'd just say, ask Bill, I'm sure he'll know. <laughs> you know, that's cool and it didn't matter if I didn't know it or not but right. you could tell that she had all this she put all this faith in me so it right. just made you feel good about it so I suppose what I'm saying is I identified 
fairly early on with the good feeling that I had from being associated with music and that people thought I was a musical person. So it, it became my identity from when I was really young, you know. Yeah. Probably saved me from going to jail, I reckon. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so so during those, were you doing any sports or... Yeah. Uh, okay, right. So it wasn't just solely... No. Do your piano lessons and just go home and practice and practice. You no. Had, yep. No. And, and in fact, my practice was pretty scattered. Okay. I mean... I did end up being a lot more disciplined in practice when I was a bit older. Of course, yeah. Um, I look, I suppose the whole... I was quite into athletic pursuits, you know. I was a basketball player. Yep. And I used to race bicycles. Mm -hmm. I still ride, but, you know. Yep. So I was doing lots of things. I was very athletic, actually. And I, you know, I'd train every day. Right. In a sport. Okay. <laughs> and then I'd, in between that I'd practice but really I suppose a lot of sporting things <laughs> were a priority yeah right okay yeah. but early on I mean I, I ended up going to Perth because my parents split up and my father moved to Perth right and we had this sort of attempt at trying to live closer to him so we all got in the Indian Pacific the train yep. and took everything we owned and moved to Perth how long did that take to get there on the oh, train? It's Sorry, a four day, three night trip. I think it is. Wow. Yeah. Mm. And we had, I remember, we had twenty three bo cardboard boxes of all our belongings, pots and pans and clothes, and yep. we showed up at the train station with twenty three boxes and there's no car. <laughs> My mum didn't have a license. Right. My dad sort of left out of the blue, you know. Right. But anyway, that was a really um, difficult time. Yep. For me. Mm. I was 10 and my dad sort of left without saying he was going. We oh, came, right. He dropped us off at a camp, a horse riding camp, which is a kilometre from here. Mm. And we got back from the camp two weeks later and he moved to Perth. So we were devastated, you know. Mm. So, I mean, there is a purpose to this story. Yep. Which I don't know if your listeners will be interested. Oh, but... of course they will. <laughs> Uh, music was the only thing that would console me. So I was so um, grieving so much that sometimes uh, I couldn't really see any light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. But I ended up getting an album. This is probably just after I moved back. I was in Perth for one year. I moved. We all moved to Perth. My father moved to Kalgoorlie, which was seven hours inland from Perth. Mm. So we were... And it was another... <laughs> dilemma where he, he was further away from us again we thought are we going to move to Kalgoorlie so we stayed in Perth had a really bad experience none of us wanted to live there mm. so after a year we moved back to Sydney to move back to this this area where we are now North Shore of Sydney yep and uh, I bought or somebody gave me Songs in the Key of Life Stevie Wonder right. album yep which completely changed my life and I had it on. A, a, I had a little cassette Walkman, which a lot of people had back then. Yep. And I'd play it every day, all day. Mm. I bought the the double album, the vinyl record, which is on the shelf over there. Mm. Made a recording of it, wore the tape out, re-recorded it. Yeah, you know, cool. Listened to it for years. Mm. Learned everything on it. Mm. Not on purpose. I didn't sit down and try and work it out. I just listened to it so many times. Right. You know. Right. And really, you know, in many ways, music saved my life mm. it was a real i had this sort of emotional connection with playing i used to play the piano 
all night, sometimes overnight. My mum knew that it was the only thing that made me happy, so she just let me do it. Mm. Even though it'd be two o'clock in the morning, she probably couldn't sleep, but she said, no, he's really sad, let him play. Oh, <laughs> sounds tragic, doesn't it? No, anyway. not at all. Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, what can I say? Mm. That's that's really where I found out that I, I need it. I really need, I need to play. Mm-hmm. And I need to play just to let out whatever I'm feeling, you know. On your website, you've got you've got a little paragraph, and I generally think music speaks for, speaks for itself. But I'd like to add a few small comments. That music is many things to many people, and for some, such as myself, it's a need and it embodies a certain desperation, a yearning which can't be fulfilled um, in any other way. For yeah. this reason, music is special. So do you think you kind of came up with that during those times? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yep. I mean, that's the the foundation for all of those thoughts. Yeah, yeah, that's and, what I'm saying. Actually, the whole thing about the yearning was when you get to a point when you're so despairing or so sad that you can't... You've cried so much that you can't cry enough yeah. to make you feel any better. Yeah. I'd go and play the piano and it'd make me feel better, you know. Great. Yeah. yeah, and I'm certainly not saying that I was good at playing the piano, but that was the thing that I needed to do. And I suppose that feeling that comes out when you play when you're in that state of mind mm. is something that I think is the most valuable thing in music. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter how well you play or how fast you play or what matters is whether it has any feeling in it, if yeah. you actually say anything. About, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are, a lot of people play and they learn just because it's fun to play, you know. Yep. It's fun to play the guitar. They, I always wanted to play the guitar, you know, so they'd go and buy a guitar, and that's great. You I'm do sure. play a little bit of guitar, though, don't you? Uh, not really. I play bass. Yeah, I know you yeah. play bass. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm pretty terrible guitar player. You know? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's good fun. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, you know... Um, well, pe- people play for all different reasons, but the sort of music that I like listening to has that sort of emotional content. And I suppose if you listen to Songs in the Key of Life, for example, which I mentioned earlier, that's what it sounds like to me, you know. Yeah. I mean, he's upset about politics, um, race relations, everything, love, you know. Mm. That record's just like a whole conglomeration of life for yep. his, his life. Yeah. And you just hear it. Hear it in the sound of his voice, whether he said any words or not, mm. and that's all that comes out. You know. Mm. So I suppose I've an endless pursuit trying to pursue that. Yeah, because um, you've uh, recorded nine solo albums. Is that right? Or yeah. Have you, or have you got? Have you got more? Oh no. No. Okay. So that's a lot. Of, that's a big body well, some, of work. Some of those two were were really short. You know, they're, they're like 200 copies and they were all gone. They're out of print. Yeah, right. So when you record yeah. your own albums, you can, you know. Mm. I've also I recorded sort of three solo piano albums at the same time, worth of music in sort of one hit, right. and released one of them and two of them are just sitting there. Right. Because you put the first one out and see the boxes at the top of the shelf. Yeah, open. right. Yeah. That's that's where that first one is. So am right. I going to make another two and put them in next to those boxes? Right, I understand. <laughs> you know. What I'm getting to, I guess, is um, I mean that that's a big body of work. So it, are you um, 
writing and recording those out of a need to, um, out of an emotional need or stuff that you're going through, and because you yeah. bring out your emotions on the piano, is that, is that how these albums have come about? Or has somebody said, we'd like you to do an album on this? Or uh, Look, I'd have to say... You, you know what I'm saying, eh? Yeah, I yeah, do, yeah. yeah. I'd have to say that the, the compositions, that's how they came about. Yeah, the actual right. songs, Just, when okay. I wrote them. Yeah. Often you go to record them and all of the feelings that you're trying to convey just don't come out right. because you're paralysed by the red light. By the red light, right, know. the pressure of that. And yeah. I often find it much easier to do what we're talking about when I'm playing on somebody else's record. I don't care so much about it being a representation of me. Right. So if somebody asked me to play piano on their record and I really liked the music, then I just let it all out, you know, mm. um, sort of in an uninhibited way. Right. Whereas when I'm playing my my own thing, hey, look, I've got a piano sitting in front of you here yeah. and it's virtually a studio here, so I haven't recorded anything of any significance that I like and I've tried a number okay. of times. Right. Because I'm not satisfied with that I've actually said what I actually want to say to people. Right. And maybe that could just be an excuse, you know. Yeah. Because there's so many ways that we sabotage ourselves um, because it's basically frightening. Right. You know. Yeah. If you put something out and say, well, this is me. Yeah. But it's not really that good. Or other people think it's not good. And you think, well, if that's what people think of me, mm. I'm not going to do it. You know? mm. Yeah, right. There's something else that you wrote. This has just given me another train of thought. Well, it's similar to what we're sort of talking about here, but um, you also talk the rec recording is a clever trick. Um, oh, hang on, so what? Let me go back a, a part of the paragraph. <coughs> yep. So, music in its purest form comes directly out of a person or an instrument. Now, it doesn't come out of speakers; it's the vibrations coming from the whole instrument or the person. So, when you sit down and you write a song, you're sitting in here or wherever you are at a computer uh, yep. at, at a piano yeah and you you know you're you're getting that whole whole experience you're feeling the vibrations you know you're hearing the actual sound coming out of the piano yep, yep. right now if you put a mic on that piano and you play it and you listen back do you go ah oh, it's not quite getting it yeah sometimes the the you know the problem or the issue is um the physical issue that to make a sound, an instrument where the sound comes out of all of it, comes yep. out of the lid, it comes from the strings, it goes, hits the ground underneath. Yep. So the room is full of the sound of a piano. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you put up a microphone, mm. no matter how big the condenser is, yep. it's going to be reduced to the sound of the piano at that particular point that hits the condenser. And then it's going to come out of the speakers, which are could be incredible pair of speakers that actually sound good yeah but generally a pair of bookshelf speakers that people would have in their lounge room sure it's never going to sound the same right i mean of course you can have really amazing sounding recordings yeah you know which capture a good piano sound but a good piano sound recorded compared to what a piano sounds like is never the same thing and it can be good enough for a recording right but I suppose what I'm saying is there's no comparison to actually uh, to a recording to actually going sitting in front of somebody playing an instrument yeah. and listening to it. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. You know? mm. That's my sort of... That's my general gist of that rave, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. When I read that, I was fascinated by it, eh? Yeah, right. Yeah. It's really cool, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> I did, you know, I did, this friend of mine used to have a, I suppose, a internet sort of blog thing. Mm -hmm. And I used to write the occasional article for him, you know. Right. I wrote a whole article on that whole subject. Right, okay. Playing in, in front of people. And actually, it's really about going to hear an acoustic gig where you're in a room like this where you and nobody has an amplifier mm. versus going to the opera house where you see this $250,000 piano mm. right, and a drum kit and a double bass and all you can hear is this sort of the DI sound from the bass pickup, <laughs> you know, and the piano is amplified with a couple of microphones with the lid shut because they can get more level. So it sounds like worse than a keyboard piano sound. Right, I got you. A DI piano sound and the drums are really... They sound beautiful acoustically, but they're overbearing because the whole room's echoing. Gotcha. So you can, you know, you're comparing what a, the actual instruments sound like, sitting in front of them, yep. compared to the amplified version. <laughs> There's yeah. just no. Yeah. But you know, at the same time, I'm not discounting that you can go and hear incredible band somewhere overseas, or, or in a big concert, somebody comes to Australia that you've always wanted to hear. Bruce Hornsby comes out, for example. Yeah. It'd be a great experience, mm -hmm. but I'm just not. I just don't see that that experience is the same as actually the sound of what it could sound like if they he came over to my house and played. You know, I gotcha. <laughs> the two different things. Yeah. 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 So, um, did you end up finishing school? Finishing high yep. school? Yeah, I finished school. Yep. I failed most subjects except for music. For music, yeah. Same, same <laughs> with me. Yeah. There you yep. go. Yep. Yep. Um, now, did you have the obviously you had the idea in your head that I want to be doing music full time? Oh, uh, yeah. So mm. I actually auditioned to get in the conservatorium, the jazz course. Yep. A lot of people did back then. And I got in maybe, I uh, did a fairly early audition that year and got in well before I'd done my first HSC exam. Okay, right. So once I knew that I got in, I thought, oh, fuck it, I'm not going to study you know yeah right <laughs> so, so there's no there's no hsc prerequisite for the con back then there wasn't back I, then there it was now. A, as an associate diploma it wasn't a degree right and now it's a i think it's called a bachelor of music majoring in jazz or something like that okay yeah so at the time it was a purely audition right yep and they they sort of encouraged you to do your hsc but they didn't even look at the mark right okay so, yeah yeah so um I knew, I look. I, I knew I was doing gigs from when I was about sixteen. I got a regular gig in a pub in the city. Yep. Um, it was start off one night a week and end up two nights a week, and it was mm. <laughs> it was paying, you know, reasonably well. And I was a high school kid. Mm. It was actually illegal for me to work in a pub. Right. I remember the owner saying, "You know, are you eighteen? I said, "Yes." Oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> that, that sort of thing. Yes. <laughs> Um, but anyway, it was great. I was making sort of reasonable living, mm. and while I was studying, and I was playing basketball, and that <laughs> yep. was a good, great time in my life. Actually, mm. it's just great fun. Mm. Now, now, what stage did you start playing bass? Why did you start playing bass? Oh, well, you know, I I started playing bass because I used to love Oscar Peterson, and I used to listen to Ray Brown and George Mraz, who used to play with him as well, and a few different. Bass players. In fact, there's a photo up there of Ray Brown with my wife. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah. 
And uh, I used to, I, I had a nylon string guitar because my brother played classical, learnt classical guitar. Mm. And I used to just play it. I played a lot more than he did. Mm. And I used to just copy all the bass lines from the record mm. on the guitar, on the bottom four strings of the guitar. Right. So I wasn't really playing any chords. Right. And, of course, I play upside left I was going to say, you left-handed. I'm left-handed. I play right-handed upside down. Upside down, right, yeah. yeah. So I, I basically copied everything, tried to learn everything that Ray Brown played. Right. And then I ended up saving it for a bass. Mm. I can't remember who I bought it from, but I had this Vantage bass, you know. Mm -hmm. It was fretless. No, it was fret, and I took the frets out. Right. And the reason I took the frets out is probably everybody will laugh because, you know, they will, because of Draco Pastorius. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I, was just, I, I first heard him when I was, I heard that album Heavy Weather. Mm -hmm. It's one of the first things I ever heard on CD, because right. CDs had just come out, 982, I think they came out. Yeah. So I was... 15, I think, 14 years, 14 years old. And that just blew my brains out. I thought, this is unbelievable. And I basically took my bass to um, a shop that was called the Bass Play. It's not there anymore. Yeah, in Edendale. And had the frets shaped off. And right. Only played a fretless from then till, you know, for years. Right. <laughs> Until I bought a fretted bass. Right. So 10, 15 years later. Right, so it was all fretless up to that stage. <laughs> yeah. oh, right. I played fretted for a little while till I right. got rid of the frets. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, so then when I went to the jazz course, you had to pick a second instrument. Right. So it only easy. had a bass then, oh, I don't know, a couple of years. So, but I said, yeah, I'll, I'll play the bass, and I learnt with Ron Philpot, who's a bass player around Sydney. You know, mm -hmm. he's still around, I think. He's a great player. Yeah. So that's that's how the bass thing started. Yeah. 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 <laughs> What about upright? Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So, <laughs> I played in one of the arts units. There's a thing called the arts unit in the Sydney school um, system. Mm. And they run orchestras, big bands, wind ensembles, string ensembles, blah, blah, blah. So I was actually playing double bass in the arts unit in, I think, when I was in year seven. Oh, right. And I was bowing... Because I'm left-handed, I'd stand on the wrong side of the bass and I'd bow with my left hand. Right. So everything was wrong, you know. It's not that it sounded wrong, but it looked wrong. I did it for about a year. Um, and, of course, now I'm married to a double bass player. Okay. Very good one. Right. So we've got, you know, there's four double basses in this house. Right. So I just pick up one whenever I want and play it badly. But <laughs> I don't, back, I, mean, I think I played it a lot better when I was young. Right. I was playing it all the time. and yep. Hard to play it at all. Mm. But I still play, you know, I play electric bass probably every day. Yeah, that's cool. Probably more than I play the piano. Right. Just because I find it fun. Yeah, right. Um, it's just a thing that I don't do that much in public. I do a few gigs on it. Right. Um, but I, I, it's funny that my relationship with the bass is different because I never felt like I was, it was part of my uh, personality or my identity. I know what you're saying. Like the piano is, so yep. I could just pick it up and say, oh, this is just a thing I do for fun. Because the piano is serious. Serious thing, stuff, yeah, I understand, yeah. So I will draw this sort of contrast with it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating, that. It's interesting, isn't yeah, it? it? Really the is. psychology that goes behind what you do can be really constructive or destructive, depending yeah. on yeah. whether you grow up or not, you know. Mm. 
But in saying that, do you do you still have those moments where you come in um, and for therapy sit and play piano? Uh, or, or is piano more of a um, more of a work thing now? Well, I mean, what I found lately, say in the last couple of years, is that because I went for a long time. I did actually go for a long time since my son was born, hardly practicing the piano at all. Yeah. Just sort of trying to maintain a level that I could function as a reasonably good musician. Right. But every now and then I'd come across something that was really difficult that I had to play. Right. And I couldn't play it or I couldn't play it evenly enough or it wasn't in time enough and it's just because I don't wasn't playing the piano enough. Mm. And the other thing that's, that's changed, which I'm sure some people may have brought up with you, is that there's a lot less gigs now than there was. Yeah, definitely. And maybe five to ten years ago I was working, often I'd do two gigs on a Friday Yep. and a Saturday, you know, and I might do seven or eight gigs a week. Right. And then it got less and less. You'd be doing four, then you'd be doing just the weekend, and then yeah. you'd do just the tours, and in between the tours you do nothing, which is more like what it's like now. Right. So back then, as much as you just maintain this good level of playing yeah, yeah. just because you'd played for six hours on a Friday yeah. and you hadn't practised at all. you know. Mm. So what I'm finding now is that I have to come down here intentionally and play for it, decide I'm going to play for two hours, otherwise I'm not going to play for the next six days. Okay. So I'll come down every day and play scales or, or just, I like playing classical music so I've got books over yep. there on either side and I sit down and play them for my own pleasure. You know? mm. um, I find I play that sort of music for fun, yeah, and I don't play anything else for fun. So mm -hmm. I'll sit down and I'll try and learn a new piece of music I haven't played before or a hard bit of classical music that I like that I haven't been able to play, you know. Mm. I'll just work on it and I'll play two bars for 15 minutes till I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> mm. It just sounds so different to what people probably think I do. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. It's right. sort of what I like doing at the moment. Yeah. And that changes. How do you musically challenge yourself? Um, oh, look, you know, there's heaps of people that I listen to that I just marvel at what they do and I just can't do what they do. And I just occasionally think I'm going to work out what it is they're doing or try and work it out, you know. Mm -hmm. And... There's any number of people. I've got, you know, I've got some uh, charts for a whole album of the piano player called Aaron Parks, who's a great, phenomenal American piano player, and I just play through his music with the recording on or mm. sometimes without it, just try and play it. Yeah. You know? mm. For me, it's always been looking at things I can't do and just putting them in front of me and just trying to do it. Right. And... That includes writing music. I used to write things, not so much lately, but I used to write things that I knew what they sounded like because I could hear it in my head and yeah. I'd write it down yeah. and then I'd sit down and say, I can't play this. Yeah, because <laughs> you've, got, you've got perfect pitch, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Sort, of, sort of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's what everybody tells me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got reasonably good ears, yeah. Yeah. So that's it's amazing. not so hard to work something out, but... Right. But, if you know, if I write down some sort of pattern, so, for example, you can sit at the table and you can write something where your left and right hands are alternating. They're playing every... One's on the beat, one's off the beat, right? Mm. 
it's easy to set a table and write it with manuscript paper. Yep. Then you pick it up, you put it on the piano, and you sit there and go, shit, I can't play this. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I used to do that all the time. Right. I'd hear, hear it in my head and say, oh, that, that goes like this, and I'd go to play it and I couldn't do it. Yeah. So then I'd sit down and try and learn my own songs. You know? Yeah, that's it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a number of songs. Because there'd be somebody out there that can play it. Oh, there's people that can sight read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I know yeah. that eventually I could play some version of it or modify it a little bit or slow it down a bit or right. whatever, Right. you know. Yeah. And occasionally you write something that's a ballad and you might play it twice the speed and realise it works really well. Yep, yep. <laughs> and not even plan it, mm. you know. <clears throat> can, can I just ask about perfect pitch a little bit? Um, do you get yourself in would not get yourself in situations, but are you in situations sometimes where somebody's pitch is not is not good and you think it should be a certain way? Does, is that a challenge for you in your own mind? No. Do you know what I mean? Okay, yeah, that's, I do, that's I do cool. know what you mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've, I've had... Look, I actually don't think I have perfect pitch, to be honest. Oh, right, OK. I don't... I mean, people can play things and I can... I know what it is straight away. Yeah. But... You know, I've got friends that have have had friends in the past that have perfect pitch, and you can play them a note, and they'll say, "Oh, that's three cents sharp," or whatever. I I have no idea. Right. Okay. But I can. You can right, play an A, and I'll say, "Oh, that's an A." Okay, it's a whole other level of it, is it? Yeah, and right, I, don't, okay. I don't know if. I mean, I don't. I don't, I think I probably just have really good relative pitch. Right. Okay. But also have a memory of it, so you know, I, I remember what an A sounds like from. A year ago, I <laughs> whatever you know what I mean. That makes sense. I yeah. actually don't think I have it, and I don't think. Sometimes I think oh, there's no such thing, but you know, mm. there probably is. So that. mm. that's that's an interesting topic, actually. Totally, yeah, yeah. Because you know, there's a really interesting. There's a guy called Rick Beato on on YouTube. I don't know if you've seen him. No. He's got this son, a little a small boy who's got the most phenomenal ears. I've ever seen of anybody really. You'll just play the weirdest chord. And cry. Oh, yeah, and doesn't the doesn't the boy write it down on some? Or he'll just say or he'll just he'll say sing an E flat. Yeah, he's playing right. This clump of chords, and right. his son will sing the note. Right, so. I, I have seen that. So it sort of goes it goes beyond. You know, it's fine playing a thirteenth chord or something. Go, oh yeah, it's a thirteenth. But this kid's doing this amazing stuff. So anyway, this same guy Rick has this. Talk. He talks about perfect pitch. Can you? I think it's called "Can you learn perfect pitch?" Right. And he says some really interesting things. So if anybody is really interested in it, they should look that up. Yep. Yeah. Rick B B E A T O Rick Beata. It's great. Great I'll, stuff. I'll find that and I'll put a link to it in the show yeah. notes. Show notes of this. Yeah, fantastic. So just go into the show notes and click the link, and it'll it'll be there. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, a little while back we were going to get into the music that you. Well, the people that you played with, so we'll get into oh, that a bit now. Yeah, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, um, Now, uh, tell me who some of the first sort of artists you, you started playing with. Okay. Um, unlike a lot of your other guests, <laughs> I didn't really play with a lot of really well-known people till fairly late. Um, I mean, that that's questionable. I, I remember doing... Uh, sessions. I, I've sort of done recording from fairly young because yep. when I was younger, I was very involved in the church. Mm -hmm. I'm not anymore, but mm -hmm. back then, and I ended up playing on this record when I was about 19, I think, which sold a lot of records, you know, 
and it was very piano heavy. Right. And and also it sort of featured piano in a way. Right. And the record was called Seek the Lord. Yep. Uh, uh, and I, I didn't never even thought about it. You know, they just said, "Can you come and play on this record?" I said, "Yeah, sure." I knew the guy who ran this church, and it was sort of the music that you'd hear in a sort of big church. Yep, a couple of thousand people. Yep. Um, so anyway, this this record sold a lot of copies, a lot more than any of the sort of a lot of the commercial records that I played on now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> because they, you know these church people have networks and they sell overseas and sure. That sort of thing. It still happens. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the biggest uh, music Australian singer artist in the world is um, a Christian singer from Hillsong or something. Yeah. Can't remember her name. Oh, Darlene Check, her name is. Right. She's sold more albums than any other Australian artist. Oh, and nobody knows who she is, except, knows, unless yeah. you're in the church. Yeah, right, right gotcha. Anyway, so this record sold, I can't remember, 30,000 copies or something, which is a lot back then. Mm. And so a lot of people knew who it was. And I had didn't really know why, because I, I was young and naive, basically. Right. But I ended up playing on other things, that sort of similar related things, you know, church sort of records. And, and I ended up playing just on ads, you know, because people knew that I did sessions. And, yep. uh I used to work at this, occasionally at this ad agency called Songzu, which I think Kerry's mentioned on his mm -hmm. talk with you. Um, and I met Erin O'Clark. Uh, I met Erin and Barry Leaf. They were both working back then, both Kiwis. Mm -hmm. you know. And Erin uh, ended up hearing me play and said, do you want to do a gig? So I did a one-off gig with her at uh, this big hotel, which is sort of where the entertainment centre was in uh, Chinatown, Sydney. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it was great. We got on really well. She liked my playing. I loved her singing. Uh, we wrote some songs together, and uh, she ended up getting a residency in a, a hotel, the uh, Wentworth Hotel in Sydney. They had a band, put a band together, which had Victor Rounds, Concert and Erie and myself, and her, so it was a four-piece band. Mm -hmm. Occasionally we had Dennis Mason come and play with us as well. He's a saxophone player, okay. percussionist and singer. Right. Um, so that was sort of the first well-known singer or person that I played with. So I was probably, I think that was about 1994 or something like that. Mm -hmm. so I can't work out how old I was. I am. <laughs> I was back then, whatever, 26 or something. Okay, okay. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, so, and then I I ended up playing with Barry. Barry and Erin were married at that stage, back then. And uh, But I didn't work with Barry for a few years after that because I think um, it was either I was going to work with Aaron or Barry, and if their gigs conflicted, it could have <laughs> been right. a bit controversial. Oh, right. I understand. But every now and then, I'd do a gig with Barry, and Barry playing with him was like a, it was like going to a school. You know, it was just, I just learned so much. Right. And he he was such a and still is such a beautiful guy, and he's so relaxed. And he basically, I'd say, look, I I don't know this song shit. Oh, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. And it just started playing. Oh shit! Okay, but I I ended up learning learning how to learn songs yep. really fast. Learn the form in one go, uh, and then you know so you'd learn the chords in the, the A section, and then you'd learn the form, and then maybe 
Victor would turn around and say, this last day section's a bit different, it does these chords, and he'd tell me just before it happened. And Barry said, see, you know the song. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like going to, you know, music school, the school of hard knocks, or the, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's just magic. Yeah. Whereas Erin was different in that, you know, she, she'd want to learn a repertoire of songs she really liked, and we'd all go home and learn them. Okay. Have a rehearsal and then just do the gig, you know. Mm-hmm. Barry was just, I'd never had a rehearsal with him. Right. Just show up at the Manly Boat Shed or wherever and, you know, do a gig. Mm. <laughs> and it was great. Mm. Magic stuff. Mm. Um, uh, so then uh, through playing with... Okay, so one band I didn't mention is The the Prophets, which was a band that Jeff Duff had. Yep. Yeah, he's a singer around Sydney, who we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Jeff's a great... He's a great guy. Uh, very sort of misunderstood, I think, you know. He's sort of an androgynous-looking... David Bowie type of yeah. character, but yeah. a great, great singer. And he had a band with five horn players, percussion, piano, bass, drums, guitar. And we had a residency at the basement, the old basement. Sorry, not the really old basement, but the, yeah, not the one now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so we were playing there for, I think, every Friday night for years, you know. And, uh, and you know other gigs around that in other venues and whatever and i met uh kerry buchanan through that you know i know kerry keeps coming up but you know yeah yeah i ended up having a lot of uh great musical experiences with him yep the first time was playing in uh in the prophets with him and i remember the the day i met him in stage door right you know, just uh i couldn't believe his feel yep you know Yep. I heard people like that on records but hadn't played with anyone. Mm-hmm. H- had you heard about Kerry at the time? I'd never, heard, know? I'd never heard of him. Never Actually, heard of him, you yeah. know what, uh, Jeff Duff said, uh, we got Kerry doing the next gig. I think I think Robbie Syracuse was playing drums in okay. the band. And I don't know for what reason he wasn't. But anyway, Kerry, we had a rehearsal, I think, because Kerry was... Uh, the new drummer or I don't know if he was just doing some gigs I really can't remember right what year was this do you remember ah uh, this Around? would this would be before I was playing with Aaron I think so okay yep early 90s yep yeah. yep I could be wrong um and uh, I just remember we we talking about stuff we like and I, I remember him saying uh, one thing I remember him saying is do you like Steely Dan it's almost <laughs> like um <laughs> It was almost like an audition question. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love them. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And um, I thought, oh, well, this guy's obviously got taste in music, you know. So uh, the only reason I brought him up is because later on, after I was playing with Erin, um, he was ended up sort of MDing Marsha Hines' band. And at one stage she needed a new keyboard player, so he got me a gig in her band. Right. So I ended up in one of the versions of her band, which was... Did that have Victor? It had Victor, yeah. John Bettison, Kerry and me. Right, okay. Which I loved. It's fantastic playing. Yeah. You know, and it's just a great time. There's some is, is that is that the band where there's some YouTube clips of you guys playing on T V? Is that that incarnation um, of it? I don't know. Mm. I've never looked looked up that. Yeah, right, okay. We did one thing I do remember is we did This Is Your Life. Marshall was on This Is Your Life. So I remember oh, right. playing, that was on TV. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so I was in the band at that stage okay. in her career, whenever that was. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's, so I played with her. Mm. 
Um, it was probably for about one and a half or two years or something. Right. You know, there wasn't heaps of gigs, but occasionally there was quite a few. Mm. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of who else. I, I, so I, I ended up inadvertently playing in the country music scene. Yeah. Um, inadvertently meaning that uh, there was a guitar night put on at the basement and it involved uh, Peter Northcote, I think it was Rex, and Rod McCormack and Stuart French. Stewie French, who they last two were phenomenal country guitar players. Okay. They're sort of the top of their field. And, right. And I'd never played with them or heard of them. Um, actually, I'd heard of them, but I'd never heard them play or anything. And I found myself playing country music with them at the basement, right? Mm. And uh, Rod ended up saying to me after the gig, he said, do you, do you do sessions? I said, yeah, predominantly, you know. Mm. And he said, would you want to come up to my studio and play on some things? I said, love, I'd love to, you know. And within a week, I was driving up the Central Coast and playing at Rod McCormack's studio. Right. Um, and he sort of, at the time, was producing well, half the country albums in yep. Australia. You know, he's, I suppose, whatever you could call the closest to a big-time record producer there was back then. Right. In in Sydney anyway, or Central Coast, whatever, mm. this part of the world. Mm. Uh, so he ended up getting me to play on, sort of every time he had to book a piano player, he'd ring me up and I was going up there every couple of weeks and doing an album and so I was playing with all these country artists. Right. I mean, I, I realise that's different to being in somebody's band, so travelling around like I was with Marsha, but... Yeah, yeah. I, and up, because I was doing lots of recording, I ended up playing on all those sort of country artists, Adam Harvey and Becky Cole and all those, yeah, having right. all the records. Awesome. So often a number of their records, you know, right. year after year. Um, could I ask you about how you negotiate the different styles of music then? Now, you, you said you sort of all of a sudden were starting to play country. Now, leading up to that, knowing you're going to be going to do this, these country gigs, were you putting on country country albums and listening to the way that the piano players were playing or were they hiring you because the sound and the way that you played would suit their music? That's, that's a great question. Well, okay. I wasn't the sort of person that hadn't, had not listened to country music. Yep. Because I actually... Not, not saying you hadn't never heard it. No, no. Not, but, I'm saying but I actually liked, intently. already liked country music. Oh, cool. Whereas a lot of people hate it. I, I have this, there's a few people I used to really love their playing. Sometimes they're sort of crossover people. Yep. But I used to love Pig Robbins as a piano player. Right. A famous country piano player from, you know, 60s, 70s. And uh, Floyd Kramer, I used to have a Floyd, probably still have it over there, the Floyd, a Floyd Kramer album. Right. Who was sort of a really sort of, typical style that everybody recognises as a country as country piano. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a handful of other people that I'd hear, or, or I had a couple of country albums. Mm -hmm. One of these records that my father gave me, apart from the Pink Floyds and the, and the Stravinsky and the... Right. <laughs> was Charlie Pride, you know. Yeah, right, awesome. And, and, and I had a Dolly Parton record. Yeah. And I used to love that song, Jolene. Mm -hmm. So I had, you know, I, I did have this broad, but you can't say, I definitely won't say that I was a learned country piano player. Gotcha. But because I've got fairly good ears and I'd listen to what they were doing, I could sit down and say, oh, someone would say, play like Floyd Kramer, and I could do it. 
Yeah, right. right. You know. So I sort of knew a couple of different piano styles, country piano styles, and basically they seemed happy. But the thing about Rod is I'd say to him, just tell me, if you want to be really specific, play me something so that I can hear what you mean. Right. And Rod, he introduced me to all this amazing music, you know. Mm. That's a lot to thank him for. Mm. Uh, stuff that I still play, like all of Alison Krauss's stuff and, you know, a lot of bluegrass music. Right. So basically, I, I went from not doing any country sessions to, make, you know, maybe occasionally playing country-style piano on somebody's pop record or something mm. to playing a whole, a whole country album. Right. Um, I suppose harmonically it's fairly simple, mm -hmm. but like anything, to play the style of something how it's supposed to sound is really difficult. And, you know, I have to say a lot of people don't show any respect to the music that they should. All you have to do is say, well, play it then, if you yeah. think you're so good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they think they're playing it and they think it sounds great, but people who actually are into country music think, no, that's wrong, you know, because right. they can't hear the difference. Right. So there's, there's a lot of small details that, you know, like every style of music, you know. Yep. If I was to sit down and play a Cuban thing, right. I could fake it. Yeah. You know, I could play it reasonably okay. Yeah. But a Cuban person probably thinks yeah. I'm an imposter, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I'd be the first person to say, well, yeah. I agree. Yeah. But, you know, it, and I'd also say, well, show me, show me what you want me to do and I'll learn it and I'll try and get the feel right. Mm -hmm. And often it, often it is a feel thing. And if you're not used to moving to the music the way that they do, it mm. just doesn't feel the same. Yep. You know. Mm. Yeah. Something just popped into my head. You, listen, you would have listened to the Bass Players Roundtable yeah. episode with, with, with um, Victor and Yeah, Mark not all of Adam it. And, no, I haven't finished it yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did you hear the question regarding a bass player playing with a piano player in their left hand? No, I'd like to hear oh, that. Oh, yeah, okay, right. <laughs> okay, so basically one of the questions was, as a bass player, you get, you get onto a gig with a piano player and what they find sometimes with piano players is they don't understand that the, a bass guitar has a certain Role. frequency range. Yeah. And a piano also covers some of that frequency range. Yeah. But also all this other stuff. Yeah. And what they will find, what 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 we all started talking about was, you know, how they how they deal with that clash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does it make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So how do you approach... I mean, it's probably a little little easier for you because you're a bass player as well. Mm. So you, you'd understand the space of the instruments. But if you get on a gig with a bass player, say you got Victor there, yep. um, you're playing new music that you haven't played before, yep. how are you going to approach it with a bass player, say like Victor or Mark or yeah, yeah. standing okay. right next to you? So honestly, I don't play in their register at all. Right, and that's a conscious... That's, you, just oh, yeah. know, you just know just to not play there. You don't play the bass notes because that's their job. Yeah, cool. You know? yeah. Pretty, that's a pretty simple answer to that question. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, there are a few exceptions. Yeah. You know, but the main one is, say, you know, in, in um, 
there's a Bakersfield shuffle. It's a country feel where the bass player plays exactly what the bass player plays. Right. And the same length of note. But you have to work it out. Right. right. And you're basically going one, three, five, six in the chord. Right. You know, or, or some variation of that, that type of thing. Mm. So ding, 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 that sort of thing. You play exactly the same notes, short notes. So, but it has to be organised. Right. So the music has to be arranged so that you're doing the exact same thing. Same with jazz, where a section might be the double bass and the piano might play this line together for two yeah. bars. Well, classic example of that is we were talking earlier. Well, I was telling you that on the way here, I was listening to Mark Costa's Textures album. Yeah. Um, those first couple of songs, I can't remember exactly what they're called, but there's certain parts of that song where Mark will do a bass run, you're doing the run as well. You're yeah, doing the same run. Right. But yeah. it's clearly been written down. It's as written down on a For you guys yeah. to play it together. Exactly. And then the rest of it, you're just out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. And essentially, I mean, for a lot of that style of music, or jazz, or for whatever you want to call it, the, the left hand of your pianos would generally play the chords. And yeah. So an octave higher, yeah. at least, yeah. than where the bass is. Yeah. And you wouldn't play any bass notes. Yeah. Ever. Mm-hmm. And often, usually, you never even play them in the chord. So if it's a G chord, yep. there's no G in your chord because yep. he's playing the G. Yep. You don't have to play it. <laughs> and your right hand might be playing a line or, or double, uh, exaggerating the extra notes in the chord or whatever, you know. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, you definitely have to... Another complicated uh, combination, which you probably didn't talk about with the guitar players, is, with the bass players, is when mm. your piano and guitar are together. Yeah. Because we we're in... Often, if I do what I just mentioned with the bass players, now I'm in the same register as the guitar players. Right. My hand's up where they play. Right. And they're playing a chord and I'm playing a chord. Well, how many people do you need to play a bloody chord? I mean, you know. Right. <laughs> well, we're actually in the process of planning a guitars roundtable. So I'm right. gonna, I'm, that's going down as one of the questions. So Okay. Yeah, yeah. It'll, right. be in, it'll be in there and it'll be answered. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, again, that's just another thing where it has to be organised, yep. you know. Yep. Um. And I'll bring up Kerry again, but yep. um, he had a band uh, doing Steely Dan music. Bodacious Cowboys, yeah. Bodacious mm. Cowboys. And they had two guitar players in it. Right. Uh, and me, of course, and piano. And sometimes horns are playing a chord as well. It's right. A horn section. Yep. So the only way you can make it sound uh, musical, or so people aren't clashing with each other, is that one of the guitars is going dit 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 or whatever it is. It's a single note, and the other guitar's playing something in the gaps when yeah. the other yeah. guitar's playing. And then the horns are playing a chord, so then I'm playing some sort of weird thing in between. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes the other way around. I'm playing the chord, the horns are just playing a stab. Sometimes the guitars are playing a chord, and I'm not playing anything. Yeah. But it's so organised and written out that mm. it sounds like music. Right. So, uh, you know, you occasionally get in a situation where you're playing in a band and it's not a Steely Dan band, it's just a band where somebody's just playing songs that they've decided they're going to do on the night and you have to play as though you're playing in Steely Dan or a band that's arranged. Gotcha. But you have to arrange it on the spot. So if you're playing with a guitar player that's, say, not listening at all or not really sympathetic to the fact that he's playing with two other people in the band that are playing chords, mm. then you just decide to not play chords. Mm. If you actually want the band to sound good, which is always my intention. Yeah. To make 
the best the band sound the best it could ever sound so if you've got a guitar player that's going to strum all the chords or or just play them you know pick them whatever don't play chords find something to play that doesn't clash with what he's doing yeah because nothing you do is going to make him stop doing what he's doing yeah good job (laughs) and then occasionally you get you know phenomenal musician like you get peter northcote playing in a band with you Mm. and he's such a musical guy and he's got great time that and you can say well how about you know you you play through this section i won't and then i'll play now or he'll we'll just look at each other and you know Mm. sort of an unspoken code that you know we 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 both realized that we're all in this together let's make some music you know yeah 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 Cool, man. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for answering that. Now, where were we before I interrupted? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> talking about people. Talking yeah. about people. Okay, so, I don't know. So, yeah, so I got into the country music scene. Country music, that's it. Yeah. And, mm. you know, I really hardly do any country gigs. I've, I've done a handful. I, I used to play with Gina Jeffries a little bit, mm-hmm. who's married to Rod. So, right. Okay. A Rod McCormack, the producer, mm-hmm. guitar player. Um, so you know, I used to play with her a bit, and uh, that's sort of my first, the first sort of proper big country gigs I did was with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a few other people, you know, I played with. I did this record with Melinda Schneider and Becky Cole called "Great Women of Country." Mm-hmm. So we did a tour, which was great. And it was a fantastic band, you know. Mm. Had um, James Gillard in it, playing guitar and singing. Um, oh, Doug Gallagher playing drums. Mm. You know, they're all sort of... Michelle Rose playing pedal steel. It was mm. a really big band. Mm. And, and uh, you know, we travelled all over capital cities and did sort of fairly, fairly big concerts. It was great. Mm. Um... So, so I suppose what I'm saying is I haven't done a lot of country gigs. Yep. I, I do the Golden Guitar Awards every year. I've okay. done that for probably at least 10 years. Right. Um, and played a lot of the, those people's albums. Um, and every now and then I might do a gig. Right. I'll play with those artists at the, at the, the awards. Right. Um, throughout the year, occasionally I might play a few, two or three gigs with different people. Mm-hmm. One-off gigs sort of thing. Right. But generally speaking, I'm not in any of their bands, so I don't. They might do do a run. I, I never go on the road with them, really. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that Golden Guitars band is since you've been there that long. Is it basically the same band? Has Pretty much. Been, yep. And, and who who are those guys? Okay, so uh, Mitch Farmer playing drums. Yep. Uh, James Gillis plays bass in that band. Uh, Brendan Radford is the music director mm-hmm. and plays. He's he lives in Brisbane. He plays acoustic guitar and sings. And plays harmonica. Mm. He also plays things like mandolin, and he's a great musician. Mm. Um, Stewie French, who moved to Nashville this year, right? But he's flying back to do it, so he'll come back in January to do the awards. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, which is incredibly sad, Glenn Hanna was in the band. Glenn Hanna passed away this year. So this coming year will be the first time we haven't had Glenn in the band for years, you know. Right. So that's going to be very difficult for everybody. Yeah, right. Uh, Camille Tanahu is a great backing vocalist who's married to Stewie French. Mm-hmm. Usually does it. 
Um, and Claire O'Mara sometimes plays fiddle right. and sings backing vocals as well. So pretty big band. Mm. Yeah, I think that's everyone, yeah. Mm. Right, so you're currently playing with Leo Sayer. Yes. Right, so how did that come about? Um, it's a long time ago now, actually. Yeah, right. Now, he's been in Australia, I think, at least 15 years, maybe yep. 17 years or right. something. And it was probably, I mean, his original band was, um, was Rene Gay's band, I think. So it's Mark Kennedy, Paul Burton, guitar player. Uh, it was Harry Bruce playing bass. Mm. And it was Alan Mansfield playing piano. Mm. And um, I ended up uh, getting a phone call from Leo because Leo ended up changing his whole band, I think, except for... I think he actually no. He he had Paul Burton still and Mark Kennedy kept playing, but the other two for whatever reason weren't, weren't in the band anymore. Mm -hmm. And Leo rang me up, and the original, the place that I met him originally was he did an album in uh, Rancom Street Studio, which is a studio and mascot, and uh, rang me up to see if I could play some songs on his album. And that's because Garth Porter, who's another big country producer, was recording this record for Leo. Right. So I think, I'm not sure if Garth put me onto him, or I, I think he might have. But basically I got a phone call from Leo and said, can you come in next week and play a few tracks on my record? So I ended up playing all of them, or most of it. And that record was called Don't Wait Until Tomorrow. Mm -hmm. It ended up being like an orchestral record. Right. It was a big budget record. Mm -hmm. Um. And Leo loved my playing, and uh, it's a bit arrogant, isn't it? But anyway, he did. No, no, no. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, he ended up firing me, so yeah, he must have. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, and I've sort of been playing with him ever since. Right. So probably from that album, if I could work out when it came out, it's been a long time. It's probably been 14, 15 years. Yeah. Before. Right. Okay. Yeah. But how active is he these days? Uh, on and off because yep. he, um, well, not only he's seventy four or seventy five this year, I think. Oh shit! Is he? So he's a lot older than people think. So uh, sometimes he'll do a tour here one year, and then the following year he'll do a tour in the UK. Okay. Then the year after, so. Right. And in between, he does sort of corporate gigs, or occasionally do a short run of four or five gigs. Yep. I mean, I'm going away with him next week for four gigs or mm -hmm. three gigs, mm -hmm. and then the week after that. Uh, but I have, haven't worked with him since January this year. Right. So I did a whole lot of things then, and then he went to the UK and did a tour. There you go. Right, gotcha. So maybe, who knows, but we'll do these gigs, but maybe next year, the beginning of next year, he might do, usually it's a two- or three-month tour. Right. He might have 30 dates or something. Mm. Uh, but I don't know if if there will be one next year, but, you know, that sort of seems to be how it goes. Mm. Every second year sort of thing. Right. It's sort of not like a, having a regular job, you know. Yeah, yeah, right. I understand. <laughs> um, but it, so, of course, I've got to make a living. So in between, I do. I've been playing with Glenn Shorrock lately, which right. I love. You know, mm -hmm. I grew up listening to Little River Band, and yeah, still, you know, I I still have these moments of looking. I look out and say, God, that's 
Glenn Shore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's he doing there? Yeah. In my band. No. Yeah. Did <laughs> you, you know I have pinch you know, pinch me moments when I think, I can't believe I'm playing with these people, you know. Yeah. Did you play on the Glenn Shore album, um, the songs of the Little River Band with Jack? No, I didn't. Right, okay. No. Right. I would have loved to have, but yeah. 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 I've I've heard it, it sounds great. Well oh, really, yeah. I played on his previous record. Mm. Uh uh what's it called? Can't remember. Rise something rising or something. Mm. Anyway, uh, yeah, I played on one song on that. Yeah. 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 And Mitch Cans I think he wrote the song that we played on. I think Mitch Cans is a bass player from Melbourne who's Right. Um is a friend of mine and he plays with Russell Morris and that you know. He produced um, Russell's last few records, won an aria for them, so right. he's a fairly well-known record producer mm. type person. Mm. Do you do any, like, remote sessions from home? Yeah, all the time. Okay, right. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it saved me, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's okay. why that mic set up over there next to the piano. Right. <laughs> I opened the lid and I swing the stand. I was going to say, is that is that where it's supposed to be? Or? No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but the lids open and I, you know, right. I shut it when I practice because it's really loud with the lid open. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, I often do tracks for people. Yep. And uh, often just on the keyboard here, but yep. uh, when the piano, when people want the piano, I, of course, I'd much rather play the real piano too. Right. If I can. Mm. And what's your what's your approach to recording? Um, what do you mean? What, Actually, it's a pretty open-ended question, don't worry yeah. about it. <laughs> it's don't fuck up. <laughs> That's my approach. <laughs> my approach is walk carefully towards the piano, don't make yeah, too yeah. much noise, sit down yeah, and yeah. play properly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about bass? Do you do any any um, in bass sessions? I do, yeah. Yeah, awesome. yeah. Mm. Often I'm doing uh, both. I'll play piano oh. and bass on something because... Yeah, right. Um, because I can do that. Yep. You know. mm. Yeah. Um, but not not heaps though. Not nowhere near what I do on the piano. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm. And often somebody will ask me to just play piano or something, and I say, I can put bass on it too if you like. You know. <laughs> and I'll give them two versions or whatever. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you played on some movie soundtracks. Yeah. Right. So can we talk a little bit about those and what those. You could say who some of those, or what some of those movies are, and and what are those sessions like? Uh, are they uh, in a studio with a full band or orchestra, or are, are these remote sessions as well? Or? Um, they, they're all no. Uh, most of them aren't remote. Yeah, occasionally yeah. they are. Yeah. Uh, I've a couple of times I've I put some sort of ambient music down. They'll say we need, you know, we need fifty seconds of. You know, they'll right. tell me what happened in the scene and whatever. Okay. But that's pretty rare. Right. Usually, I'm going to a, a studio and playing either with a band or quite often lately a string group, you know, sixteen string players, right. and a couple of times a full orchestra. Which, look, to be honest, is terrifying. Yeah, really yeah. terrifying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. It's, if you fuck up, then. They have to do it again sometimes if you're in the same room with them, which I have been occasionally. Right. But lately, um, they put the piano, mainly to get a better piano sound or whatever, they put the piano in a separate room, mm. in which case if I do play a mistake or sometimes, 
you know, this is a trick, to be completely honest, with everybody who's listening, which is quite embarrassing. <laughs> if, I, if I get to some section that's all written out and I know I'm playing it with the strings and I think, I'm going to screw this up, I just don't play it. Right. Yeah, it's very rare, but if I think, oh, it's just they have to get all this done today, I so just won't, go back and I just won't it. play it and I'll just overdub it, yeah. Yeah, right. That's yeah. smart, yeah. I've only done that as an emergency thing when I think, oh, I just can't waste their time and and also I don't want to embarrass myself, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know. Drummers can't really do that, eh? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they actually could. Yeah, well, you can. Usually yeah, yeah. they're in a separate yeah, yeah. room, which yeah. is great. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember doing one of those ABC themes. I remember playing, you know, that's on ABC Radio, I think it is. Mm. And... It was just, it was in an odd time. Was, you know how they're often, there lots of drums in there. And mm. I thought, I'm going to screw this up, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and I was in the room with the whole, you know, there's a timpani player just, you know, next to me. And I thought, oh, God, what am I doing this for? I'm an idiot. <laughs> Why don't they get somebody who can read music? Or, yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, when it comes down to it, I really don't have any much self-confidence when it comes to things like that. Yeah, and right. I'm, I'm often thinking, Even what? after all this time and... Well, you know, yeah, experience it doesn't seem to... Right. I mean, I'm always thinking in the back of my head, surely there's somebody better than this <laughs> for your job, you know? Right. But, you know, I, I appreciate that they, they must have hired me with something. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's that I know that in the end, I, I know a few things that could get you through, you know? Yeah. Like, don't play. If you can't do it, just stop for a second. Yeah. Come back and just put that bar in if you, they, you know, if you really have to. Probably really appreciate that, yeah, that yeah, consciousness. And, sometimes. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, it varies, you know, mm. the situation. Sometimes it's just a, a sometimes, you know, how varied music is in film. So sometimes it's a jazz quartet. Sometimes it's bongos and a trumpet. <laughs> sometimes, yes. you know, a couple of times I've arranged stuff for a film, you know, where... And usually it's been, you know, a scene where they've wanted jazz for one or two minutes or in some a restaurant or something. There's a band playing in the background, so they want it to sound like Glenn Miller or whatever, you know. So you write four horn parts and a piano, bass and drums and it's going and record it. And it's pretty much generic jazz and they want it to sound like a jazz standard, but they don't want to pay the copyright for a jazz standard. So yeah. you... Or, or, or they have the rights to use a song, so I just have to arrange a jazz standard, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Right. But uh, really, I don't do that a lot. I've yeah. done that a few times. Mm. Um, most of the time, I've just gone in as a piano player, and when I get there, I find out that I'm playing with um, a small string group or a band. Mm. Usually, if it's a band, they'll ask me who I'd want to do it with. Or, oh, okay, cool. Or they'll say, you know, we've hired these people. And you know they're always great people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. That's cool. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, One time I got this phone call from this woman in Paris, and she uh, she rang me up maybe eight o'clock at night. I can't remember exactly. I was living in Crow's Nest at the time. She said, "Oh look, I got your phone number from Christopher Latham. Christopher Latham's a a violin player in Sydney who's a great, um, great musician. 
and and he knew this woman in Paris, so she rang me up and said, we're supposed to release this film in about two days, and we found out last night that we don't have the rights to the music that we've put in the film, <laughs> which is music by Arvo Pett, who's an Estonian composer. I love his music, you know. It was very sort of minimalist piano music, sometimes with strings, sometimes with a choir. And she said, do you think you could copy or emulate the style of music that he's played? Uh, and I said, when do you need it, Brian? She said, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I said, yeah, sure. You know, so I ended up writing maybe, I don't know, five or six scenes. I basically improvised them. I, I listened to the music that they had and I thought, oh, yeah, it's pretty pretty simple, simple music. And I basically did it in a couple of hours. And uh, I mean, that's very rare that that happens. And right. I, I sent her the files, emailed her the files, and the person the next day was mixing uh, the score, putting, you know, putting the piano parts to the pictures and whatever. Came out on time. It just, it just completely happened out of the blue, you know. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah so weird things like that happen sometimes. Yeah. You played all the piano parts on the Peter Allen movie. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah. No, I did. <laughs> right. Yeah, that telly movie thing, it's great. Yeah. So yeah, so, well, the guy, the guy who organised the music for that and arranged it was a guy called Ashley Irwin, who's another phenomenal musician who moved to Los Angeles probably 30 years ago now, 27 years ago or something. I'm not sure exactly. And um, I know Ashley's brother, and I'd met Ashley once or twice, I think a long time ago. Um, and he's asked me to do a few things when he's come back to Australia, but uh, he used to do a little bit of work for APRA, the uh, royalty collection agency here in Australia. And he uh, he wrote the whole film score for the telly movie and asked me to to be the piano player. So I said, yeah, I'd love to. I mean, Peter Allen was actually a great piano player. He was, yeah. <laughs> It was a real challenge to yeah, right. play. And some of his records, there's one record in particular that David Foster produced, it's just fantastic. Such a great record. Mm. And there's only, I think, two songs from that record, but right. you know, a, lot, a lot of his music I really like, you know. If it was a... Well, correct me if I'm wrong here, I'm not... Well, I'm going to put it out there, but being a David Foster album, were you hundred percent sure was Peter Allen playing all the guitar, uh, all the piano parts on it? Oh, not not necessarily. I, yeah, right. Okay. I don't really know, but right. for the, for the piano David playing, Foster's I have a heard fairly phenomenal oh, piano player in he, his own right. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I know. I'm aware of that. Yes, I'm sure. No, what, but for the piano playing, I have heard that I know is Peter Allen. Okay. He's a great piano player. Yeah. 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 Mm. I mean. You never know with recording. I mean, the yeah. thing about recording is I could put something together on this piano in an hour that's a five-minute piece of music and I might use the whole hour to put together something that I couldn't play. Yeah, I know that. You, yeah. Know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know that. Some people yeah. don't, but a lot yep. of people. And the same applies to Peter Allen's music. I mean, I, I don't know. I assume back then that because it was on tape and... They were yeah, true. Off, they were just playing it. Yeah, know. right, okay. Let's yeah. think of that. 
Yeah. But yeah, it could could have been David Foster. In fact, I'm sure he would have played on those records, at mm. least some some of them. You know. Yeah. Mm. yeah. However, you look at it, they were great records. Yeah, they sure <laughs> were. Um, now I saw on your YouTube um, the Sarah Morrison Quartet. Oh. <laughs> that was cool, man. Those three kids are gun players. Yeah, she's my stepdaughter. She's upstairs. Oh right, okay, yeah. right. Yeah, right. She's my wife's daughter. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Phenomenal. And, and the little kid playing the bass. Yeah, he's my son. He's ten. He's upstairs. Oh right. Yeah. yeah. And then who's the little drummer? Uh, he goes to school with Sarah. His name's Matt Simmons. Right. He's a fantastic kid and great, great drummer. And actually, fantastic drummer. He plays piano. Right. Oh, he's, he's a great drummer. Because yeah. that first song, he sets it up. He sets it up yeah. with some. Those little fills and back. Yeah, dun, I mean, dun, 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 dun. we ended up doing those recordings because. Um, we did this concert for, which Sarah got as um, a member of the um, arts unit or whatever it is to play at the Opera House, do oh, a right. concert as a featured artist at the Opera House. Right. So we had to do an audition video, you know. Right. So we just did it on my phone, I think. But anyway, yeah. we sent that video in. We did it in this room. Yep. And, um, you know, we weren't intending to make a video or anything, but I thought, I'll just put it up on YouTube. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just when I was doing my research, you know, I just because right. um, I discovered Oasis Bill today. Oh right, yeah, because <laughs> I'd seen your website and I couldn't see you on Facebook, and I, I typed in Bill Risby on Instagram. Right, and then I was looking at your website again, and then there was the the handle down the bottom at, at right. Oasis Bill, and I clicked yeah. it, and there was Instagram. Yeah, and then I clicked another one, and there was a Twitter, and then I thought, oh, I wonder if. You, well, go and have a look on YouTube. Yeah. And sure enough. <laughs> there you go. There it is. Yeah, 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 it's a bit of a mystery. I sort of stay a bit hidden. Yeah, that's And cool. also, I, that's I don't a good really, thing. I don't promote music on yep, yep. any of those things. I'm not really interested in it. Yeah. You know. Well, your Instagram's your photographer, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah but maybe I should, you know, do the music thing on social media, but I don't know. I, I, I've found in the past that it doesn't necessarily make much of a difference, you know. It might for some people at some levels, but yeah, for yeah, what for I'm sure. doing, I mean, yeah. it's pretty much all word of mouth. Yeah. You want me to play on something, ring me up. Yeah, and if it's the same people still calling and. Yeah. You know? I don't see. People I mean, recommending and. Maybe someone new overseas or something will see it and go, oh. But yeah, there's right. so many great players, you know, it's, that's not going to happen. Right. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. There's some players on Instagram, you think. God, listen to that guy, you know. Yeah, right. It's just extraordinary. Right. I mean, they're all sort of little one-minute snippets of people. But mm. but what's your take on that then? Because I, from, a, from the drummer's community, and I, I've talked about this before and, and some of my friends have talked about it too, there's definitely a, a type of drummer that that's their thing. Um Playing really, really choppy, playing a little YouTube video and yeah. getting getting their likes and their and they make they make their living off that. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, put that person behind a band and try and play groove, and they probably can't do it. Yeah, know? yeah. Each to their own. And then um, what, is 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 there a um, uh, sort of piano versions of those kind of things? Where they've got channels and they're just yeah. phenomenal chops piano players. 
Yeah. They get all their hits and absolutely. Okay. Yeah, they're and you know I love these. They're phenomenal piano players. They play things I could never play. You know. Right. And I love looking at them. Wow. But it's sort of like. In a way, it's sort of like going to the circus, you know, or, yeah, yeah. or the Olympics. I know what you're saying. It's like watching the 100 metres. It goes for nine seconds, yeah. 10 seconds. Yep. Wow, and that's it. It's like, well, you know. Yeah, good. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then the thing is you want another thing that's just as exciting, so you go and watch the long jump, you know. Yeah, right. And it's another person doing independence things on the piano. You know, he's playing one song in his left hand, a different song. You go, oh, that's amazing. You know? And once you've heard it, you go, okay. What have you got now? You know, and it ends up not having anything to do with music. Right. That's uh, so, that's social media, isn't it? Yeah. So <laughs> it's just boop, boop, boop. so since that you brought it up, this is one thing that I've been observing in the last sort of few years or whatever, and that is that social media has changed how our brains work. I mean, this isn't new news, right? It's, there's articles on it in newspapers and whatever. Which you can read on your phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the irony. Yeah. But but the point is that our brains have changed so that um, we have an attention span of less than thirty seconds. Mm. Whereas you thought radio made it bad, bringing it down down to four minutes. When music used to go for seven minutes, if you're going to listen to Yes or Genesis or something from the seventies. Yeah to classical music that one piece of music would be 40 minutes to Wagner where one piece of music is four hours long right so you know we get bought we've had our ability to focus on something that has any sort of um, validity um, reduced to little snippets of things mm. and so what's changed is rather than listen to something as a long form uh, something that grows and you develop with it and you become immersed in it, like listening to, say, a, a classical symphony or something, mm. or, 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 say, a long piece of a steely dance song, mm. Asia, the song Asia, right, which is about seven minutes long, I think. Yeah. Um, we, we want a dopamine hit. See, we, we, we want to hear, we want something to go blar at us, and shock us, because mm. we get this little feeling, right? Yeah. And... As soon as that feeling's gone, we immediately want it again. Mm. It's the same, you know. All these articles I've read lately have to do with how the way our phones work and Instagram work are the same as the way poker machines work. You know, it gives you the same exact same feeling as somebody who's addicted to gambling who wants to hit that button again. Yeah, right. It's the same thing as a like on Instagram. Yep. So all of that, uh, the way that our brains have been moulded to think like that have affected how we experience music and including me and it's affected how long we can focus for mm. um, how fidgety we get when we not we haven't been entertained you know if you want to sit down and put down a Brian Eno record which is just going to be one long note for 20 minutes well I used to be able to listen to that that sort of thing and shut my eyes and just get lost in it, you know. Right. I don't think I could do that now. Mm. I haven't tried, but, you know, because I don't think... Uh, it's it's basically the feeling you get from the short-term thing is an addiction. So I've become an addict, basically. Right. I, I, I don't think I'm as bad as many people, because I do still put vinyl records on, I listen to 20 minutes. 
and I leave my phone upstairs and switch it off. You know. Oh, that's good. So I'm fairly disciplined in, but you know, in controlling it. But I still think it's affected me in a bad way. Mm. Just the fact that I hardly read any books, yep. whereas I used to read non-stop. Right. I've read, you know, I was really into reading. Yep. And now it's well, I you know, I look at my phone. But when you read a book, it's really slow. It's slow motion. It's like, you know, yeah. a car that has no acceleration. Go, oh, yeah. do I have to drive this to the city, you know? Yeah. But really, you're missing out on the fact that your dashboard's made of wood and yeah. you know, you're driving through the country. What do you want to go fast for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've thrown away all the stuff that actually matters yeah. for this quick thrill. We're going to get dropped dead and realise we haven't actually experienced anything valuable. Yeah. And that includes young people who haven't heard slow music, haven't tasted slow food, you know, that sort of thing. It's, I think it's a tragedy. Yeah. Still time. Yes. Yeah. Still time. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, me and my wife are conscious of it at yeah. home, you yeah. know, with our kids and screen time and, um, and they're getting to an age now where they go, oh, but you're on your phone. So that makes me think, well, okay, I've got to do something about that. So I've got, yeah. I've got some, on the iPhone, you've got, um, you can put an app, a limit on the, on the apps. Yeah. And you can choose social media and you can choose to only be able to access that social media for one hour a day. Yeah. And, and then right. they're gone. You just can't, unless you unlock them, which yeah. you <laughs> do. Because yeah. I've got the password to my own phone, you know. <laughs> Yeah, you can unlock it. Yeah, yeah. Don't unlock the kids. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Well, I mean, with the kids, it's just like we just don't. They just don't have them. They only they they have a list of things that they need to do and tick off. Yeah. Once they've done them, then they get it for an hour or whatever. Yeah. And, you know. That's so, great. Yeah. So, have you heard Jacob Collier? Um, I've heard of him. I had a couple of friend friends of mine were at his concert. Yeah. Up in. Did they like it? Brisbane. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I went and saw him as well. Right, I think he's an absolute genius. Right, most incredible thing. But the the one comment that that came to mind after seeing him is that he's a product of this social media generation. Right, where as amazing as all of the music was, it came even the songs that were long came in thirty second snippets. So a seven-minute song had 14, 30-second snippets, you know. So it was like another dopamine hit. Just oh, right. Not every song. So how would it go? Like like a Well, they just have these incredible sections, you know. That oh, and then it would be something be, completely different. And then it is completely changed and it would be slow and really fucking... And there would be another, oh, wow, that's amazing. And then it would go into something else. But as a song that's long, long-form piece of music, it, it didn't necessarily make any sense. It was right. more like being the Instagram of music. You, you as amazing as anything you've ever heard. You, you think know? he's consciously done that, though? Possibly, yeah. yeah. Or maybe he just thinks like that because he's 24 or 27 or whatever he is. He's, he's young. Right. You know? So he's just a generation who's always had Instagram since he was a kid. Maybe. I don't know. Because the, the fact is that there were a number of songs that were long composed songs, which were just absolutely beautiful. Right. So going from a whole lot of things that would like another version of getting hits right to going to something that maybe belonged to 20 years ago mm. 
that was an interesting thing too. Or is it a modern day rock opera? <laughs> you know, some of those rock operas they just had yeah, bits and pieces and snippets, possibly. That's true, but mm. even a modern rock opera had a story that went from beginning to end. Uh, okay, right. And this so this is almost didn't... like these things aren't really related. Oh, right, okay. But they're all part of a continual piece of music. They right. didn't stop and start a new one. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I could be talking out my ass. No, no, no absolutely not. <laughs> but that's that was just an observation, you know. Yeah. That's not, not to say I didn't think it was incredible. <laughs> it was absolutely incredible. Mm. Um, I didn't get so lost in it as I might have been different types of music or but you know it's yeah. still he's just a freak yeah right. i'd encourage everyone to check him out yeah yeah there's a song uh, there's a beach boy song called in my room mm -hmm. an old beach Boys. yep he does a version of that on youtube you can put a link on your thing there, <laughs> there <you go>. <laughs> <laughs> it's really really good right yeah yeah i'm gonna go check him out i think you should yeah and he played percussion for a lot of the show right and he's, he was amazing, mm. like, not just a hack, it was a serious, really difficult, odd time stuff. And right. Playing percussion and singing, and then he'd run over and play the piano like Herbie Hancock and <laughs> play the bass. He's, he's just amazing at everything he did. Right. And he just had such a sort of, not scattered, um, what's the word? I can't think of the word, but basically he had so much energy and stuff coming out of him all the time. He was running, like literally running across the stage playing things all the time right. for the whole concert right <laughs> it was manic it's yeah. manic right and fantastic i'm so glad i saw it yeah it's cool yeah. speaking of herbie hancock did you go and see him when he was here oh yeah he did a thing called uh the international day of jazz mm -hmm. international jazz day and he did a whole sort of day there's a whole day of workshops at the sydney opera house oh, right. and herbie did a Herbie did one of them, so I saw him at that. Right, and uh, it was, so I can't believe I was as far away from I am to you. Yeah, from Herbie, and he's just playing the piano. Right? Yeah, so it was just him on the piano. It wasn't his band. No, it was a, right. it was a band. Oh, right. It was a band of the university right. that he's the alumni of, something like that. Okay. Um, so it's all the young people who went to Herbie Hancock Academy. And they're all, oh, right. they're all phenomenal. Yeah. And he was playing with them. So he'd get up and play with them. And they also had a piano player that played for sort of half the songs. Right. And I said, the piano player would be playing So What on the piano and Herbie would get up and play it. <laughs> well, <you know. laughs> it's just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> all right, the next... What's the rest of this year got in store for you? Apart from you've got the... Um, Leo Sayer stuff coming up. You finished yeah. this HSC stuff. Yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing some rehearsal pianist work for the Sydney School Spectacular, mm -hmm. and I've been playing at the Sydney School Spectacular for, which sort of goes for about a, it's a week of work, and four big concerts at the end of the week. I've been doing that about twenty years now. I think this might be my twentieth year, mm -hmm. um, and that's that's actually. I love doing it because um, the the kids are playing with a sort of professional level musicians, mm. but some of them are as young as eleven or twelve. Right. <laughs> it's like, well, another one of these things where you look at YouTube and think, "Wow, look at that kid!" And there's some of those sort of kids in this oh, show. Oh right, you know, okay. Every wow. year, it's great. Sometimes the music's not really to my taste, you know. 
bit of sort of house music and it's often music that's come from films and that sort of thing that are current. Yep. So I think this year there'll be a bit of stuff from The Lion King or you look at what's out there and you'll get an idea of what's going to be in the show. Right. But I've got some, you know, a whole lot of dates playing for rehearsals with School Spectacular the, the, with the featured artists. Right? Mm-hmm. So they'll come in a room and play through the songs they have to play with the orchestra with just the piano or whatever, you know. And the music director's in the room and he tells them what happens while they're doing their part and that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, so I've got that. I've got a few weekends away with Leo. <clears throat> um, I've got a gig with a choir coming out. That's <laughs> just wacky, disparate things, but anyway. Mm. I did a great gig. Um, this is in the past now, but I told you I did a gig with where I did a sort of spot with my trio playing yeah. some jazz ball. Yeah. I played well the rest of the concert was a choir called the Humming Song Choir which is f- about 400 women who've been singing together it's like a community choir right. and every year they do a big concert so I've been sort of involved in their stuff uh, for about five years now mm. and uh, for whatever reason you do a gig with a choir and you end up getting ten gigs with a choir you know <laughs> It's like you open a gate and they yeah. all know, oh, he plays with choirs, let's get him. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> That's just what's, what's happened. So I'm doing a gig with um, no, uh, the Idea of North, a vocal group. It's a vocal group in Sydney. So they're, they're doing a concert with this choir in the city in a couple of weeks. So I'm doing that. It'll be fun. Awesome. Yeah. Mm. And then later on in the year, I suppose... Can't think of anything specific, but of course the you get into January and it becomes the Golden Guitar Awards again. So I go right. to Tamworth. And I've actually got a gig with Glenn Shorrock in Tamworth. Oh, cool! He's, he's going there. I don't know if he's organised it intentionally to be right. part of the festival, or, right. but anyway, he rang me up to. And it turns out it's a night before the awards, so I just go up one day earlier and do a concert oh, with him. Oh, great! Then you're already Fantastic. there. Fantastic! Yeah, I'm already yeah. there. Awesome! Yeah. Uh, apart from that, I don't know. I mean, it's a whole lot of things I want to do of my own. Yeah. Oh, the other thing is, you know, Peter Drummond, the drummer? Yeah, yeah. He's a good friend of mine. Well, oh, right. He's just um, recorded some drums on one of my old songs that I re-recorded minus drums for him to play along to. Right. And uh, we're sort of going to be writing some music together, so I'll send him some tracks oh, and he'll great. play drums on it. And he'll send me, he's already sent me one song. Right. And I'll play piano on it probably. Oh, great. He's phenomenal. That's an incredible drummer. Yeah, he is, yeah. He's a great guy too. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What can I say? Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Bill Risby, thanks so much for sitting with me today and talking through all that stuff. It's My really, pleasure. It's really yeah. cool, man. Cool yeah. to meet you and hang out. And yeah, yeah. Thanks yeah. for coming over. Yeah. Chew the fat, talk the shit. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome, man. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, anytime. All right. Cheers, Bill. No worries. See ya. Thanks, man. Bye.